I was remembering a, an occasion 23 years ago uh, when I spent my third vasa as a monk uh, at, at Chithurst Monastery. Ajahn Suchito was the abbot at that time. And uh, it was a Saturday night gathering, <coughs> similar to this one Prague gathering, one of their Saturday night talks. And um, the hall was filled with people who had come from a number of different places. Uh, and it came time for Ajahn Suchito to uh, give the reflection. And he uh, basically just did what I just did, the Namo Tassa, and then sat quietly, silently for a few minutes. And then he just took the mic off and he said, nothing here. <laughs> and uh, bowed and did the final chant and we disbanded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was quite impressed, uh, actually, that he was able and willing to do that when so many people had come and gathered around. So I'm feeling similarly tonight. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, we've also been uh, having just a few brief discussions about um, putting into use that uh, that high dhamma seat over there. We have we generally don't use it very much except on special occasions, although in many monasteries it's uh, often used for all the Dhamma talks. And uh, I'm feeling glad that we haven't decided quite yet to do that because I, I don't feel particularly elevated tonight <laughs> either. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's been just uh, kind of a uh, unusually... Uh, busy uh, bit of time for myself with both Ajahn Yaniko, Ajahn Chunda away, and kind of finding out that there's been a lot of things that a lot of things that need to be attended to in preparation uh, for the coming week or two, with many guests, visitors, the Katina, um, lots happening, Ajahn Amaro coming, um, lots of things happening just within the community in terms of appointments and transportation and travels and getting people here and there and all the organizing details uh, that happen here. And it seems like uh, it's been multiplied 10 times uh, and uh, I haven't been doing this kind of stuff for, for a while and wasn't really expecting that I would be doing it and it's just kind of all of a sudden started to happen, confluence of things happening. And a number of actually difficult, uh, gnarly issues coming up uh, that I've had to put my mind to, spend a lot of time with, composing long emails and long bits of information for people, making certain decisions, the board, all sorts of different things happening. Uh, so just find myself running on uh, empty right now and trying to kind of get my mind around what might be useful to, to say. Uh, it's also, you know, not just uh, 
nattering off something that's uh, you know, not coming from a, a, a real uh, clear or heartfelt space. I had been thinking a little bit about re- re- reflecting on um, a verse uh, from the Sanyuta Nikaya, uh, inspired by uh, Lung Pa's talk the other night uh, with uh, one of those verses from the uh, Devata Sanyuta. And when he first said that he was going to do that, he mentioned, uh, before he mentioned the one he was uh, talking about, I thought maybe he was going to be uh, referring to a very well-known one, um, the very first one, actually, the very first one in the Devata Sanyuta, which is also the very first in the whole collection, uh, quite a well-known one. Uh, turned out it wasn't that one, but it re- reminded me of that particular sutta. And coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, um, Anagarika Max had um, come to me and said, he had a question, you know, what was a Dhamma-type question, and he quoted that particular verse that I was just thinking about and said, you know, can you help explain what that that might mean? So I thought, okay, well, this, this particular verse seems to be in the air. Uh, so maybe to talk a little bit about that. But as I have been thinking about it, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's kind of what, you know, you might want to call high dhamma. Um, and I'm not sure that... Uh, the space of mind that I'm in right now is, is, like I was saying, it's not, it's not very high right now. Um, but just to let you know, I, I think I can probably pull it together to remember the verse itself, um, and uh, just take it for what it is without too much comment. But uh, it's where a deva comes to the Buddha. Devata comes to the Buddha. And uh, ask the Buddha, and all of these are in verse, um, this first set of uh, the Sangyuta, they're, they're in verse, kind of a question and response, both in verse. Um, but he, he says, uh, he or she, I'm not sure whether it's a male or female devata, uh, says to the Buddha, um, uh, Venerable Sir, uh, how, how do you cross the flood? Or how is it that you cross the flood? And the Buddha replies, um, I cross the flood by neither pushing forward nor standing still. That's how I cross the flood. Which is, of course, you know, fairly cryptic. What does the Buddha mean? And the devata responds, saying like, you know, could you please explain that? Uh, what does that mean? I um, cross the flood by neither pushing forward nor standing still. And the Buddha explains. Uh, the Buddha explains it uh, also fairly quickly, and maybe a bit cryptically, as as um, when I uh, when I tried to push forward to cross the flood, um, I got swept away. When I stood still, I sank. So it's by neither pushing forward nor standing still that I crossed the flood. And the devata gets it at a deep level and, uh, and 
was extremely appreciative. And I think the commentary all notes say that he entered the stream at that point. So there it is. <laughs> um, it's also kind of uh, paralleled with a a um, letter that Ajahn Sumedho actually received from Ajahn Chah uh, after Ajahn Sumedho had, I think, moved to the West uh, somewhat later on in Ajahn Chah's life and uh, Ajahn Sumedho's um, having left Thailand. And Ajahn Chah wasn't known to write letters and so this was a very unusual situation. Uh, and the letter was also uh, quite brief uh, but had a similar flavor to this particular verse from the Sangyutta. And um, if I re I'll try and remember the letter as best I can. It's just a few lines, but uh, it was you know, a letter to Ajahn Sumedho, and it said, um, whenever you feel love or hate for anything, uh, that will be... Uh, your aid and partner for developing the paramis, the perfections, the, the qualities uh, that lead us to across the across the flood, if you will. Um, the Buddha Dhamma uh, is to be found neither in moving forward, moving backward, standing still. Yeah, moving forward, moving backward, or standing still. This sumedo is your place of non-abiding. So, very short statement, but filled with a whole lot, packed with a whole lot, and very similar, as you can see, to that uh, verse from the Sangyutta. So right now, I'm kind of feeling more like on the first part of the stanza, the... Uh, <laughs> The uh, feeling love and hate for anything, uh, letting that be my aid in developing parami, and particularly probably the, the parami of, of patience. Uh, and um, also working uh, with the, uh, the energies of the mind and body right now uh, in terms of trying to uh, just see them just as that uh, from a, a point of discernment and wisdom uh, without personalizing them. Uh, because... We all uh, have periods when uh, there's a lot of challenges that come uh, and uh, take our full attention uh, and can be quite draining. And uh, the duty is to not resist that uh, impact on the heart, not to shy away from it, run away from it, uh, and get involved in aversion to it, um, which is the natural uh, habitual response that we can all get into, but uh, that's based on a sense of uh, a strong sense of me having to encounter these kinds of things that I don't want to encounter, and why should I? Why should I have to be the one to deal with all of these things? Uh, blah blah blah. You know the story. <laughs> you know the, and we all do that at times. So the task is to just drop that self-centered storyline and um, just be with uh, the circumstances as they are arising 
uh, and to uh, widen and hold them uh, as best as one can uh, and not taking it personally. This is uh, what's life, what life is like in samsara. Even the Buddha had to bear with and respond to uh, challenging circumstances after his enlightenment. He, he wasn't exempt from that. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of uh, misbehaving monks and nuns that were doing all sorts of things that helped create the uh, rules and monastic, of monastic discipline, community issues to resolve, uh, even people threatening his life, uh, his wayward cousin, uh, other people uh, falsely accusing him of, of things. Um, and then also experiencing, uh, you know, the aging process himself, having uh, certain uh, illnesses. So he wasn't exempt from uh, the vicissitudes of human life. But he knew how not to uh, get entangled, uh, and uh, he was able to stay above those things and not... Uh, suffer with him in any way whatsoever. That was the crux of his understanding. So that's our task too, uh, living with these challenges that come, not taking them personally, not running away from them, not making them anything more than they are. There are aids and partners uh, in developing parami. But it is that um, quality that we all have to keep relearning over and over again of, not, of how not to pick them up in any kind of personalized way. You know, once we do that, once we get that, we've come a long way. Once we can sustain that, we've come a long way. Because then pretty much anything that comes uh, based on kamma, uh, uh, we can learn to, to hold in a uh, graceful way without creating problems around, additional problems around it uh, that cause suffering for ourselves and others. And I think that's what, you know, those verses point to in a, in a way too. There's a lot of different ways that a person could interpret those verses. Uh, and actually, if you read the commentarial um, comments uh, at the back uh, that are included. Uh, I think the commentaries offer just a whole range of different ways that uh, that particular set of verses could be interpreted. Um, but the one that strikes me, or the, the feeling that I get from it, or the way I like to, to reflect on it, uh, is the most impactful for me, is that sense of um, the fact that if one has a sense of identification uh, with any of these uh, states, then uh, if it's kind of a, a form of resistance or, or um, pushing against or uh, trying to do something about to take care of it or get rid of it, or um, in some way it's, that's like pushing forward, pushing against it, and that's when one can get swept away. Uh, so there's that sense of myself needing to 
push forward to to get going to uh, to take care of this, to get rid of it. Uh, and if we engage in that with that sense of self-identity around a particular state or issue or problem, then we can get swept away. Or if we just stand still and don't do anything, but just, you know, non-action, non-response, also if, if done with a kind of sense of me more a more subtle sense of me being frozen non-reactive withdrawn uh, not engaged kind of shutting down I think uh, it's another way that um, uh, a typical response would be when when the flood is roaring past us and if we do that then we just sink So it's neither by neither pushing forward nor standing still uh, that we can cross the flood. And what to me that means is, is that with the sense of identity being uh, relinquished, uh, not getting ourselves entangled with uh, the response uh, or some action or some non-action, some confusion, uh, when we're caught uh, in those things, or when we're not caught in those things, that's when uh, we're neither pushing forward nor we're standing still. And that sense of me isn't there. And it lifts us out of the whole realm of uh, action and non-action. Uh, we've moved into more of that state of just Clear knowing uh, that doesn't jump into the story, doesn't try to avoid the story, but just sees it all very clearly and does not get entangled. That's how one crosses the flood. I think my, uh, I can't remember exactly, but my brief answer to, to Max when he asked, was asking about that, I was, you know, I, I was involved in something, I think, when he came to me, and, and I said, hey, 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 just like my mind is not in a space to, <laughs> to answer that right now, and so, uh, but then maybe a few minutes, maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, and I was finished with the task, I, it kind of occurred to me to, to respond a little bit, and I went and found him, and just uh, kind of said, you know, one quick take to think about is, is just with, with the relinquishment of uh, the conceiving I am, the conceit I am, with relinquishing that, um, there is, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no movement to or uh, our back or standing still. Uh, uh, there's no uh, need for location. Uh, there is no location when the conceit conceiving I am uh, disappears. There's no going there, there's no staying here. And I think Ajahn Chah's uh, letter to Ajahn Sumedho kind of also points to that when he said, you know, by neither moving forward nor moving backward nor standing still, um, uh, uh, that's the... Uh, uh, that's the true understanding of the Buddha Dhamma. Uh, 
and uh, this is your place of non-abiding, referring to that relinquishment of me being someone who is going somewhere or doing something or not doing something. It's our place of non-abiding. So that's kind of some deep um, contemplations from these verses. Uh, And it's something that most of us need to kind of recollect over and over and over again uh, to let slowly sink in and see see how it applies and and feels uh, inside of ourselves uh, to to gradually bring us to that very slow process of self-effacement. And it doesn't happen all at once. In fact, you know, many people probably already know, but, you know, there's, there's many different levels of the relinquishment of that sense of self gets us swept away or causes us to sink. Um, you know, the, the first level of kind of understanding, you know, would be that relinquishment of the, uh, the identity view, that what's called in the teachings the Sakaya Ditti, one of the first three fetters. When those three fetters fall away, uh, we're firmly... Uh, we're firmly uh, on the path, uh, irreversibly, in a sense, on the path. And that Sakaya Ditti is that sense of um, having a, a strong sense of uh, self in relation to any of the, the five aggregates. So uh, holding a sense of I am or this is mine in relation to the body. Uh, or in relation to uh, feeling, um, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. So if there's a, a sense of uh, belief that uh, that any one of those or combination of them is uh, who I am, if there's a notion of that's who I am or that's mine, um, then that is what we would call Sakaya Ditti. And once that has been understood and relinquished, and there is no, I mean, not just on an intellectual level, but on a real um, experiential level, when one really deeply understands uh, that, uh, that, you know, one does not have a notion that I can be found uh, in any one of those or in possession of any one of those uh, five aggregates, uh, when one realizes that deeply, then one has shattered that fetter of, of person or identity view. And one realizes, okay, now that's, there is no, uh, the perception of self in relation to uh, those five aggregates just does not occur. But yet there is still uh, can be a subtle residual sense of of self, um, the conceive or the conceiving I am, that arises until the final goal has been met of liberation. And there's the wonderful sutta uh, also in the Sanyutta Nikaya um, regarding a monk named Kamaka 
who beautifully describes um, the process of moving from the level of understanding uh, of that there is no identity view in relation to the five khandhas to that more sublime relinquishment of, of all sense of all notion, all uh, hint of uh, uh, self-conceiving. Uh, and you know, briefly, it's he's he's uh, very ill, uh, and uh, some elder monks who are nearby uh, come to um, hear that he's very ill and send a messenger to to be with him uh, or to to relay a message, you know, asking him how he's doing, is he bearing up, um, you know, what's happening. And the messenger goes and, and uh, Kamaka um, responds with, no, I'm not bearing up, I'm not holding up very well, I'm quite ill, actually. And the messenger takes that back to these, these senior monks, and so the monks send the messenger back again uh, and with another message saying, well, you know, uh, you're obviously, you know, uh, in a very um, delicate state if you, you know, um, what's the state of your mind right now? You know, essentially, you know, if you're going to die, you know, how are you going to die? Um, you know, are you, uh, um, do you have any sense of um, identification or, or, or sense of self in regard to forms, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness? And Kamika's response to the messenger is, is you know, um, something along the lines of, uh, no, I, 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 I don't uh, have the notion, I don't possess the notion that, uh, that uh, I uh, am my body or uh, have possession over my body or my feelings or my uh, perceptions, my uh, mental formations, my consciousness. And, uh, and then... After a few more exchanges back and forth, he says, but I still, you know, but there still is a, a subtle sense of, uh, of I am. And then he goes on to give some examples, or a couple of similes that are quite lovely uh, to describe the difference. And <clears throat> the first simile that he gives is in relation to a flower. And he says, you know, uh, so regarding a, a flower, can you say that the... the um, scent of the flower uh, is uh, specifically in the, the stem or the petals or the pistils uh, of the flower? No, uh, one can only say that uh, there is an overall scent that the flower has. And similarly, like with a, a piece of cloth that is unwashed uh, and one washes it and gets it free from the stains and, and uh, all the uh, things that are uh, making it uh, dirty, washes it with soap, with lye, uh, and yet the, the cloth um, still has this uh, residual scent of, of the, the, the soap or the lye. But then one um, puts it in a casket with some scents and lets it sit there for a while, and finally, though even those subtle uh, 
remainders of uh, the, the dirt that was on the cloth, even those will start to fade away just through time. And he compares that uh, scent of a flower and the, uh, uh, the scent of a, uh, a washed garment as being similar to the residual conceit, I am. You've kind of cleaned everything up and you've got a good understanding of uh, who you're not, which is the kind of end goal of uh, this contemplation of uh, on, on Sakaya Ditti, uh, realizing who you're not. But yet there's this still this subtle experience of I am. Uh, and it's just through time and constant uh, refrain recollection uh, in our contemplations uh, from a deep state of quiet to see how all phenomena that we cling to, hold to in any way whatsoever uh, as being part of uh, my experience, uh, whether there's, as long as there's any kind of attachment in any way, uh, any kind of clinging to the five aggregates, even if it's not a uh, explicit uh, sense that that's who I am. Uh, but if there's a subtle clinging, then we're still suffering with that conceiving I am and operating through that. But at some point, that also can be relinquished uh, for the experience of total freedom. And the good part of that story from Kamaka is, is that he, uh, in the course of explaining it uh, to these elders, he himself uh, reached the final goal just in that uh, period of time, as well as uh, uh, the others that he was teaching uh, also. I believe they uh, came to full fruition. So that's that relinquishment of anything related to a, a sense of, of me, of myself, of I am, as being the... Uh, the perceptions and the uh, attitudes that we hold that keep us entangled, keep us uh, being swept away, swirled away, or from sinking, or keep us uh, in the realm of sinking. When we relinquish that, it just doesn't apply anymore. Uh, we're kind of like lifted, there's uh, lifted out of that whole realm. Of, of becoming. So this is kind of a slow process, as you all, uh, you know, all of us <laughs> obviously know. Uh, and uh, it's just through bearing through the, I think, through the regular difficulties of daily life that uh, it can really start to sink in in, in, in the more subtle ways. We can hope that it comes to us, these realizations come to us in some profound moment of, you know, deep meditation. But I think the, the grit of the work uh, of letting go of uh, all these obstructions comes in our daily life. It comes in the emails that you rather not have gotten 20 minutes before you're giving a talk. <laughs> uh, or... Um, in the course of a daily life or in the form of, you know, 
constant problems, constant issues, constant things to resolve. This is where the the real work is done uh, towards pounding, pounding that sense of me out of us because it's just no longer <laughs> worth holding on to. I can't remember. I think it might have been Ajahn Chah, attributed to Ajahn Chah, uh, something along the lines of, 90% of the practice is just making the same mistakes over and over again until you get tired of doing it. And uh, I think many of us uh, are repetitively and constantly reminded of that. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's what we're here to do. That's the, uh, that's the task of... Uh, this lifetime as a, a Dhamma practitioner in whatever form we find ourselves in, you know, this is, our, this is what we're here to do. We've been given the opportunity, we've been given the teachings, and we need to just, you know, take advantage of those and uh, uh, let the teachings do their work uh, and not to give up because really in the end, uh, if we want to be free from suffering, there's no other way to do it. And if we look at the teachers that we have around us who have been doing this for many, many years and see the results uh, from their practice, uh, then we know that it can be done. Uh, it's not easy, but uh, it can be done and, and really there's, uh, there's no other way to do it. So I'll leave that for this evening's reflection. <laughs>